Um, obviously, the question is why English when we are a Romanian church, right? And we all have that question. And we all have wonder about this. And you know what? I had the same issue when I came 14 years ago to, to the America, to the States. And uh, when I got to the church, I was told that the young people don't understand the Romanian language. And I thought that is impossible because they are raised in a Romanian home. They hear the, the Romanian language. You cannot tell me that they don't understand the Romanian language. And soon I was being proven actually wrong because the truth is... You know, while they understand dute dugunoi afară, ai grijă cum te îmbraci, îți dau două palme, and all the, you know, the nice Romanian words, when it comes to the church language, I'm sorry, but they don't understand. I do remember one of the girls that was in the worship team. Every time we would have a song in English, she would be hands in the air and she would be worshiping. As soon as we would switch to a Romanian song, she would be like flat affect, like you, you couldn't get anything out of her. And so I had to go and ask, you know, do you hate, do you hate Romanian songs? Do you, you don't want to sing them? And she said, Doro, I don't understand. I can read the words, but I don't understand a word that I'm singing. So what I did, what I had to do was to translate the song for her. And she would be right into it because a worshiper is a worshiper, but they need to understand what they're saying. Amen. And so soon I, I, I understood that there is, a, there is a language, not a problem, not a barrier, but they express themselves much better in this language. They understand much better. Now to the credit of our parents and grandparents, you've been at the faith for so long. Remember when you were young and you needed encouragement. Remember those times? I do remember them. I was so blessed to, when we were singing up here in the front. And I remember in our, in our home church, there was one older gentleman that every time we would sing, he would stand up and he would sing with us. That was the one person that I remember from my youth of all the people, because I felt that he, he gets me. He understands, even though there was no language barrier. But it's so important to can uplift and encourage. And so God bless you. And I, I pray with all my heart that this church is indeed breathing new life, not just into, you know, the way you do things, but into the new generation. For they need to understand what real life is, life with Christ. And, you know, we, we do come in, and I guess every now and then you can ask the question, and why Why we're preached at all the time, right? You know, we heard in Sami, I was just this close this week to go exactly on those verses. And God redirected me to a different direction. So I'm glad we didn't kind of clash on, you know, you don't clash, but you know what I mean. But you wonder, you know, why why do we prod in, in anyone's life? Because in, uh, in this country at this time, everybody's like, mind your own business. And I was reminded of a little story I heard this morning. A friend of mine was telling me this about an old lady that one evening in the cool of the in, in the cool of the evening, she decided to take a walk into the nearby park. And as she was uh, going through the park, she met a little boy who was sitting on a bench and eating chocolate. His face was all covered in chocolate. His fingers were all covered in chocolate. He still had a big box and he was going at eating this this chocolate. So this lady, as you know, 
parental kind of concern, she goes to this little boy and says, hey, you know, don't you think you're, you're eating too much chocolate? It's going to affect your teeth, your health, all of that. The little boy looks at her and says, well, my grandpa used to live a long life. How many years should, did he live? She said, well, he lived to be 100. Oh, my goodness. I bet he didn't eat a lot of chocolate. No, he said, but he minded his own business. <laughs> now, before you go and say, well, I have taught you tonight to tell your parents, mind your own business, that's not true, okay? Because the reality is that just like them and your pastors, they bear this responsibility of your souls on their very shoulders. And the scripture says that Hebrew 13, 17, to give them respect, to listen to them, to obey them, that they can do their work with gladness, okay? And so in the light of whatever is going on in this world, everybody's worried, right? Everybody's thinking, you know, what shall we do? My fog just jumped back to 29, my goodness. I don't know what's happening. I'll try, I'll try and be short. In the light of the events that we all witness, the turmoil, the war, the, uh, the, 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 you know, unrest with the social, economic, political that we see in the world. There's one verse that kind of keeps coming back at me. It's almost like seared in my brain, in my heart. It's the verse that Peter poses, is the question that Peter poses in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, where he says, after explaining what is going to happen, he says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct, conduct and godliness? Should I be, should you have to start from the beginning by telling you that I'm not a doom and gloom preacher, okay? I'm not going to say that, you know, this is the end of the world, woe to us, let's scare everybody into accepting Christ, let's beat him with the scripture and bring the end of the world into our conversations. But I'm not going to be on the other end of the spectrum of people that say, no, everything is going to be okay. Jesus is not coming yet. There's still a lot of things to happen. And while this is true, let's not forget that the Bible teaches about the imminence of his return. He can come at any time. Jesus says his coming will be like a thief in the night. Nobody knows the day or the time. It can happen at any time. But you know what? For the child of God, even the, the news that we see, even everything that we hear, it's not a reason to be troubled, but it's a reason to be hopeful, to raise our eyes unto the sky because our salvation is about to come. Amen? Yes, it's trouble. Yes, it's war. Yes, all that we see kind of enrages us, but let's not forget that the Bible talks about all these events. And when it talks about these events, it also lets us know that we are about to see our redemption coming to fruition. Our salvation being completed finally. And that is a reason of great hope for the child of God. That is a reason for us to be even more and more close, getting closer, not just hearing the word, but being doers of the word. Do you agree on that? So what, ought, what a manner of person ought you to be? I want to bring to you um, a couple of things from, from this verse. 
And as I said, I'm going to try and, and wrap it up within the time that I have. But first thing that comes to my mind as we read this verse is discernment. Peter talks about discerning. Peter talks about understanding not just the times, but also the way that we should live our life. Discerning the times that we're living in. Discerning how to live our life. Now, you see, when we when we look at discernment, um, a lot of a lot of it is lacking in the world today. And and I have to say, you know, people are listening to all sort of different sources and they take information from so many places and unfortunately they lack discernment. Who said, I tell you, Wellington is a bad general, the English are bad soldiers, we will settle the matter by lunchtime. Did you know who said that? That was Napoleon just before he lost the battle. Who rejected an offer from Alexander Graham Bell to purchase the patents for the first telephone? It was William Orton, the president of Western Union, who said, I don't need bodyguards. You know who said that? Jimmy Hoffa, just before he was shot. What do they all have in common? One thing, they lack discernment. They lack discernment and all that it cost them. It cost them dearly. So when it comes to seeing life's opportunities and solving life's problems, you and I need discernment. Now, Shifting towards the the younger people, you are still having, from all that we can say, you know, your whole life before you. In order to succeed in your life, in order to achieve the God-given potential that God has placed in every and each one of you, you need discernment. You need to have that God-given wisdom to understand the will of God specifically for your life. You need to discern Where is God leading you? You want to be successful. We all want you to be successful. Your parents bet on that, that they want to be, you, you want, they want you to be successful. But in order to do that, you need discernment. Because discernment enables you to see what others don't. It fills in the missing pieces and get to the heart of the matter. You need that to see the larger picture. You need the sermon to understand what's beyond, what's behind every person, every action, every circumstance. You need the sermon for that, to really discern for him. And truth is, it's not in the Bible. It's in every other man's Bible. Men, obey your wives and you shall be blessed. But they have, they have this what they call the sixth sense, right? Where you look at the things and you don't see, but they always see beyond. But we can get that as well. We need that in our lives, okay? We need the sermon to fill in those gaps, to go beyond. That means that you have to stay in the area of your core gift, your discernment will be stronger. When you're good at something, use discernment in that area whatever god has you know whatever talent god has given you whatever area specific area god is calling you to serve use your discernment in that area that's where you're strong that's where your strength is use that potential use that and work from the areas of your strength 
But that's not enough just to think about it and to kind of tap into it. You need to do something more. In order to really get the sermon, you need to pray for it. It's one of the nine gifts, you know, that the Bible talks about the gifts of the Spirit that are promised in the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to, 7 to 10, you look, for, you look at the Scripture. You know what? Some of Israel's greatest victories were won when David was king. And when we study the makeup of his army, we read the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's when they won the battle, when they had people with discernment, people who understood the times, people who understood the circumstances, understood the situations. The sermon enables you to see doors of opportunity where others see only brick walls. The sermon helps you to see past the closed doors, to see beyond the opposition, to understand sometimes where the opposition comes. And when it comes to the sermon, oh, how much of that do we need in the church nowadays? There's so much teaching going around. There are so many teachings that we hear, whether DVDs, videos, tapes, the Internet is full of it. And I know a lot of you, a lot of you are watching a lot of, a lot of sermons on, on, on YouTube. That's not, that's not bad in itself. It's fine. Expands your, you know, table the food that you have on the table. But please use discernment. Not everything that you hear there is truly scriptural. The devil will come with half-truths. The devil will not tempt you with outrageous lies. He will just give you a little bit of his lies wrapped in all that truth. See, when, and I work for the railways back home in Romania, and I know when they they try to change, you know, course of a train, they only have a little thing. I don't know what they call it. I forgot. I've been in this line of work for too long, so I don't remember. But it takes about this much, and you change the course of a train. It doesn't all of a sudden go right or left like the cars, but in the long run, all of a sudden, it misses the destination. We need discernment in the church more now than at any other time. Amen? Amen. We need to discern the truth of God, the scripture as it is. Because the Bible tells us that in the end times, there will be so many false preachers and so many false prophets that will come and they will try to bring those their lies you know, talking about hearers of the word, not doers. The, the Peter, I think, calls them like clouds that promise a lot of rain, but they, they never deliver. People that will always hear, but never be enough for them. The sermon is what we need. See, we look at Solomon, and when he was asked by God, what would you like me to give you? Ask me one thing. Of all things that Solomon could have asked from God, you know what he asked? Solomon said, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people that I may discern between good and evil. What a beautiful prayer Solomon had. But you know what happened when you ask 
for the servant. <laughs> Look at the continuation of that of that passage. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God wasn't through talking to Solomon, but he carries on and he says, I have also given you what you have not asked. Isn't that wonderful? When you know what to ask of God with humble heart, with a clean heart, God says, I will give you what you have not asked for. And what did he give Solomon? I'll give you both riches and honor so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. And Solomon was one of the greatest kings that Israel has ever had apart from his uh, his father David. But he is still remembered for his discernment, for his wisdom, for his understanding of what was going on. And there are so many examples we can go in, but I'm not going to go into that. The sermon made Solomon one of the greatest things. Situation when you're in front of something, you're told to go with your gut, you know, with your instinct, with your feelings. And sometimes it's not wrong. Sometimes the first impression that we get, that piece of the sermon that we have right in the beginning, it might be right, but it's not enough. It is not enough. Management consultant Robert Heller adds this advice. Never ignore a gut feeling, but never believe that it's enough. Never believe that it's enough. The sermon doesn't rely on intuition alone. It doesn't rely on intuition alone, nor does it rely solely on intellect or experience. You see, the sermon does come with practice. It does come with experience. That's why your parents, that's why your grandparents have a lot more discernment, truly because they have been through life for a longer time than you have been, than I have been. The scripture says in Proverbs, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. You know, there are two kinds of discernment, natural discernment and spiritual discernment. One can fail you, but the other will never fail you. Natural discernment, natural intuition will take you up to a point and it will fail you. But spiritual discernment will always take you to the right place. You know, when natural discernment can take you a step further, spiritual discernment enables you to keep going with faith and confidence. James tells us the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Can you imagine such a life? Well, truth is you can live that life. You know what? Because the spirit of discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. When we have received Christ in our hearts, when we have allowed him to take over and to become Lord, not just Savior, And I'm saying this because I have asked one lady once in my line of work. I asked her, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And she said to me, what is the difference? I said, well, as a Savior, he comes to save you from your sins. He forgives all your sins and gives you eternal life. But he also wants to be Lord, to rule over your life, to tell you the decisions that you want to make, which way to go. You know what she said to me? She says, I like him as a Savior. I don't like him as Lord. But you cannot separate him 
is Lord and Savior. He is Savior and Lord. And as Lord, he can give you that life of the sermons. You see, <clears throat> it is said that in the 1940s, Switzerland was, <coughs> excuse me, was manufacturing 80% of all the world's watches. But in 1960, an inventor presented a concept for a new type of watch to the leaders of a Swiss company, but they rejected it. All the other Swiss companies he approached <coughs> did exactly the same thing. They lived by the philosophy, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Believing that his design had married the inventor, took it to a company in Japan. The name of the company was Seiko. The design of the watch was a digital watch. Remember those watches? What a privilege to, to, to have a digital one. Well, that took off, obviously, and the world has started kind of moving from the simple, you know, regular watches to the smart watches, to the digital ones. It only took one person with discernment to really understand what was truly there. On the sermon-driven decision can change the course of your entire life and bless others. One expert says, smart leaders believe only half of what they hear. Smart leaders believe only half of what they hear. Discerning leaders know which half to believe. And we truly need discerning leaders. And I pray that God will endow the pastors of this church, every leader, every every minister with a discerning spirit so that we know which half to believe when we're presented with difficult situations. But that's not just for us, that's for all of you. So here are two things you need to know about God-given discernment. One, it's shaped by scripture. It is shaped by scripture, not by our human understanding, not by our human wisdom, but by scripture. Paul says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word, but solid food belongs to those who are full of age, spiritually mature. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The only way we can discern between good and evil is by having the word of God, the scripture. That is the basis of everything that we do. Secondly, it's sharpened by use, which is just normal, isn't it? The more we use our discernment, the better we get at it. The more we are seasoned, the more you get more of it. You know, we'll, obviously sometimes we'll make mistakes. Sometimes we will look at things and we'll make the wrong decision. But you know what? The more you use it, the better you get at it. The more you work in the God-given talent that he has given you, the better you get at it. So remember scripture and use. But what matter of person ought we to be? And I'm trying to squeeze in that those 10 minutes. If I were to ask you, what is the ultimate purpose of God for your life? What would you say? I'm looking at you now. 
What will be the ultimate purpose of God for your life? What would you say to me? One word. How about for your life, personally? It's it's hard. I mean, I know I know we can get into all sort of things, and, and let me save you from, and I, I get to with the time. Can I propose to you tonight that God's ultimate purpose for your life and my my life is to be fruitful? Can I say that? Can we summarize everything that God wants from us in this one word to be fruitful? In John, I believe it's chapter 15, Jesus talks about, you know, being the the vine and, and we are the branches. But he says this, I chose you that you might bear what? Fruit, fruit that will last. Basically, he was saying, spend your life in pursuit of that which has lasting significance and eternal value. Spend your entire life in the pursuit of that which has everlasting value. We are looking at it in so many directions. We try to be so many things. But ultimately, if I am to kind of simplify everything to one word, God wants us to be fruitful. God wants us to be fruitful. What does it mean by fruit? Well, again, the scripture tells us the fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that is the kind of a fruit that God wants us to bear. You know, we won't take anything with us beyond the grave. There's nothing that we can, we can take with us. Fame stays here. Achievements stay here. Houses and cars and bank accounts, they stay here. You know what we take with us in heaven? Character. And that is exactly what God wants to build in us. And to to make us fruitful, to, to bear the fruit of the Spirit until it's ripe. Until we look more and more like Jesus. Until the gospel pours out through our veins. Until there's nothing in us but Him and Him alone. There's nothing in us but Christ. So when somebody comes to you and he wants to ask you of the hope that is in you, you will give them Jesus. Because you bear fruit. For he has chosen you. He has chosen me. He chose us to be fruitful and fruit that lasts to the end. What is the secret of fruitfulness? Constant contact and intimacy with Jesus. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, then I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you hear? The only way that we can bear fruit is to stay connected to the true vine, who is no one else but Christ himself. Jesus is the vine. As as we stay in him, you know, we can bear fruit. Also, the Bible 
um, identifies the Christian as a as a tree that's rooted by by, by waters. Uh, um, blessed are those who trust in the Lord, Jeremiah says. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. To be fruitful, you just have to stay connected to him. And secondly, you have to be deeply rooted in scripture, in the word. See, it all comes back to the word of God. It all comes back to the living word of God. In order to bear fruit, you need to be connected to that which is a source of life. And the word of God is the source of life. Apart from me, Jesus said, there is no life. Who is he? He identifies himself as the word, the logos. I am. No, the fountain of water. I am the living water, Jesus cried out. As we stay, as we learn to grow deep roots into the word of God, that is how you become fruitful. That is how you stay green and you still bring fruit in times of heat and in times of drought. In the heat and in the drought. See, when the Bible speaks of heat, it's speaking about the pressures of life. And we all go through the pressures in life. If you haven't experienced them yet, if life, it's nice and it goes into the fast lane for you, just wait for it, okay? Yeah, I, we were young once too. Dreamers. Yes, life's going to be good. And the pressures of life came. and All of a sudden you get married, you know, and here's the breaks. No, life and married life is good. It is good. But pressures of life will show up. It's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when. But he who is planted by the water, who grew deep roots into the word of God, can withstand the pressures of life. When the Bible talks about about drought, it's speaking about seasons of crisis and lack. And you know what? We all go through them. See, when we came to the United States, we thought, you know, we came to the land of all possibilities. The land, the land of where, where honey and milk flows, right? Yeah, we, we thought America is the, the land of all opportunities, and it is indeed. Do you know that we have experienced lack and we have experienced drought and crisis in this land? That we were at some point looking at not having money to buy diapers at some point. Wondering, you know, where the money is going to come from to do this or to do that. I remember that, you know, I've learned my lesson of trusting the Lord back in back in England when when I was on my own, I was no money coming in and I, I had to trust the Lord. I've learned my lesson there. And we came here and uh, there was a, a moment where my salary was cut. We had no other income. We had one income and that had to last us through a whole month. And I remember 
Martha being a Baptist, she worries about the finances, okay? I don't know if anybody else, you know, the Baptist got her with the finances, but she did. And basically, we had everything kind of, you know, to the dime, to the penny, to the cent. And God was trying to teach us a lesson. And her back just kind of blocked and she couldn't, she couldn't move. She was in bed. I had to, I had to lift her up and take to the, to the bathroom and back and it was bad. She couldn't, she couldn't stand. She couldn't walk. She couldn't work for a week. And because she couldn't work for a week, a quarter of our income all of a sudden was gone. What do you do in times of crisis, in times of lack? Well, you got to root yourself in the word. And we said, Lord, you brought us here. You carried us so far. I know that you can take care of this. Now, when you think, you know, a quarter of your living is, is gone, you got to scrape for the rest of it, right? Well, at the end of that month, when we draw the line, Actually, we had more coming in than in the month that she worked full time. But we know that in order to stay calm, in order to stay rooted in the word, you need to trust the one that has called you. You know, our life looks so different nowadays. Everything has changed. Everywhere we look, looks bad but the one that trusts in the Lord will never be shaken the one that trusts in the Lord will never lack anything so what manner of person ought we to be in the face of all things can I say to you be people of discernment allow God to speak to you and be fruitful even in time of crisis even in time of lack in, even in time of, of trouble such this, continue being rooted in the word of God to bring fruit. And I pray with all my heart that God blesses you and blesses new life with much fruit. Amen. God bless you.